welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. My name is Micah, uh, lead pastor here at Awaken, and uh, this is Eastertide, a season after Easter when we begin to work out the implications of resurrection and what it means to live in a world uh, with resurrection as a reality and a hope, but still day-to-day facing the things that we face. And so uh, in an act of gutsy vulnerability, um, Tim and Katie came to me and asked, uh, started a conversation about, you know, maybe feeling ready to press into this a little bit in this part of their journey and their story. Uh, And I I know that when we gather on a Sunday morning, like, it's all here, Um, whatever the pain, whatever the sorrow, whatever the the struggle is, uh, most likely it's in the room. And so uh, just in the next couple of, uh, in the next month, in the month of May, uh, the Olsons as well as Dustin and Heather Crawford uh, have offered to lead a group of people um, to gather and to discuss and to journey and walk with one another around this topic, uh, which is just really hard sometimes, uh, most of the time. Uh, And so May 6th, uh, it'll be Saturday mornings here at Awaken from 9 to 10.30, uh, if you're interested in that, um, Heather will be in the back uh, after the gathering uh, at the Discover Awaken booth and would love to entertain any questions about it or invite you uh, to join them with that. So, um, this just in, actually not just in, but um, last week, I don't know if you, does anybody read the Awaken Weekly? Um, we sent out this, week, this email that goes out every week and um, I don't know if you realize this, but there were 730 bodies in this room last weekend for Easter. Like, what in the world? And you all, I mean, you all welcomed everyone with such grace and ease. People were scooching and finding places for people to sit. There were people hanging off the balcony back there. Um, it, was, it was lovely. So thank you for uh, making us proud for being the Awaken that we know you are. So well done, everyone. Well done. Um, and then I also want to invite you uh, to one other thing jump in this morning. Um, Next week, uh, that will be the 30th of May, Dan and I will be hosting a uh, Q&A of sorts uh, about this parish church plant that we're sending out here in in about six weeks. And so if you have questions about that or you're interested in that, um, the the drinks are on us. There will be a food truck there. Uh, Bad Weather, of course, is a brewery, so they have beer, but they also do their own homemade sodas, which are pretty tasty. So uh, if you're interested at all or you just want a, um, a drink, come on out and, we'll, um, and we'll, we'll buy it for you. So that'll be, that'll be fun for us and probably you as well. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but seven years ago in July, a group of 30 of us started um, gathering in a park uh, just a few miles from here, and we started dreaming about you all. And we started dreaming about what a church and a community would look like where uh, a group of people were gathering around this one story, the story we talked about last week, this counter-narrative of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And uh, we dreamt of a place where uh, that was safe for people to ask questions and to wrestle and to struggle with faith and life and God. And we, we dreamt of a place where authenticity was really important, where we tr- were trying to match our insides with our outsides. Um, and ultimately, we dreamt of a community of people who were waking up to God's dream for the world and for our own neighborhoods and workplaces and our lives. And then this little thing um, was born. And so um, we exist as a church because God has invited the church 
uh, to be a group of people in the world who are partnered for the renewal of all things. So if you're wondering, like, why do we do what we do and what will this new church plant be about, um, that's it. The renewal of all things, partnered with God for the renewal of all things. That's why Awaken West 7th exists, and that's why Awaken East will exist in, like, less than six weeks. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This is why you know you're alive, you know, because you're, like, so excited and nervous all at the same time. Um, And and as I've been praying for Dan and and for some of you who will say yes to this, I've been thinking about um, why we did what we did seven years ago. And the same reasons why we did what we did, what I did, what I did, uh, are some of the same reasons that I think some of you will go. Um, This is an exercise that will absolutely require God's spirit and presence to be involved. And so um, for those of you that are saying yes to this, I'm kind of excited for you, and I'm a little jealous, quite frankly. Like, you are right on the edge and, uh, where, where faith and, like, real things are going to be seen, where God provides and does things that you didn't think would happen, and you'll be there uh, with a front row seat to it. Uh, this, this kind of activity forces you to be the kind of character you want your story to be about, right? We all think about our lives and the things that we want, and this kind of an activity is an inciting incident that will force you to live the kind of life that you want to live. Uh, That's one of the reasons why Laura and I said yes in the first place, because we wanted to be certain kinds of parents and certain kinds of people of faith. And this activity, it sort of forces you into that space, which is is really exciting. Um, So this morning, we're going to kick off a new series, and we're going to kind of go back to the basics. A long time ago, Vince Lombardi, famed football coach, stood before the Green Bay Packers, and he's like, this is a football to a bunch of professional football players. And we want to sort of do that in the sense that we want to go back to there are a few rhythms that we have been uh, intentional about from the very beginning that will continue to be a part of Awaken whether you're here or whether you're there. And it's these three ideas of gathering together as a sacred community outside of Sunday morning. It's about doing this, right, on Sunday, telling the story of Jesus. So it's gathering outside of in groups, it's gathering here in the building, and then it's serving and loving our community. So we're going to talk about living and serving and gathering over the next three weeks. So um, I'm done for the day. Dan's going to lead us on this one. So book them Dano, as uh, Hawaii Five-O used to say. That was a bad high five. It was on me. Sorry. Yeah, you know that, that feels like when you have a bad, and now you're like unresolved. Stuff. Uh, I want to start this morning, and I want to talk about the Dukes of Hazard. The year was 1985 to 87, I can't quite get the story straight, and um, I was in first or second or kindergarten, I don't know which, and I was at daycare with my brother and some friends, and when we would leave, um, Dukes of Hazard would be on, on, on TV, and so my brother would turn the TV off, like he'd see it like start the you know, Waylon Jennings song, and he'd push the button on the TV, you used to have buttons in the front that you would push and turn, um, and he would turn the television off because he thought that TV was like a water faucet, and if he turned it off, what was there would wait until you turned it on again. And what he really wanted to do was not just watch the Dukes of Hazard, but he wanted to watch the Dukes of Hazard with me and my buddies. He wanted community. I was thinking about this story sitting... Um, I have this chair I love to sit in, and it's like I can't see the TV from it. The TV's here, but I can like hear the TV, and like probably most of you, I don't like silence. It frightens me, and so whenever I'm doing anything, something else is happening. 
So I'm like thinking about this story, writing the sermon furiously. Uh, it's funny how that's how we say writing now, right? It's not writing, it's writing. Um, everything has changed so fast. And so I have Star Wars on, um, Star Wars Rebels, that's the cartoon. Um, and I'm not watching it, but it's like there, and I'm like in the space, and I'm like, yeah. And it hits me. The story of Star Wars is all about the formation of a sacred community that's on a mission to save the galaxy from the evil galactic empire. That's the story of Star Wars. And then I think, wait a minute, that's the story of Lord of the Rings. You get a bunch of hobbits and some elves and some dwarfs and some humans, you put them together, you call them fellowship, which interesting that that word works there, but if we say fellowship in church, people are like, right? And they go on a journey to save Middle-earth from Sauron. I never feel like I say that name right. It's the story of the Matrix. Neo, the one who's on a journey to save humanity from being glorified Duracell bunnies the rest of our existence. It's the story of Goonies. Come on, right? <laughs> hey, you guys. Okay. Uh, chunk love sloth. Uh, if you know it, you know it. If you don't, sorry. Uh, you need to watch more movies. Um, <clears throat> These kids are trying to save their world, which happens to be uh, the town of Astoria in Oregon, which isn't that nice. I don't know why they wanted to save it, but it was their home, so, you know, we'll give them that. These communities, they collect together, they gather together to be about a mission in their world, to basically save the world. Does that sound familiar to you? That's us. Sacred community gathered together around Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah, and following him as he makes all things new, as he makes everything right. That's our story. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to tell three, I want to show three pictures of community in the life of Jesus. And these aren't like the pie in the sky, mountaintop experiences where he's transfigured into light and glory and the disciples are like, woo, we're in, right? These are the parts of the story of community that frankly suck. They're the things that make us go, I'm out. Uh, this is not what I signed up for. I want to leave and go away and never see any of most of you people again. Not you people, but right, that's the story. Tracking with me. Maybe not. <laughs> I want to tell hard stories because they can help us go forward. They can help us go further into community instead of what I would argue our trajectory is, which is running away from it. So these are three not, uh, oh, I had it written down, it was good. They're not cotton candy, pie in the sky, Starbucks unicorn frappuccino stories. <laughs> this is the real stuff, um, so we can, we can move forward. But to begin us, I want to anchor us um, in the words of, uh, of the Apostle John, the disciple that Jesus that was called the beloved disciple. So I would invite you, if you're able, to stand up. And listen, hear these words, let them anchor us as we begin. Dear friends, 
Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who knows, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Let's pray. Abba, give us eyes to see this morning. Give us ears to hear and give us the courage to be people that say, yes, okay, where you lead, we will follow. We love you. Let your love be at home in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. <clears throat> so three things that Jesus does uh, for community, around community, that, that we can do something with. The first is that Jesus cultivates sacred community. Basically, any time in the Gospels when Jesus is an eight-pound, six-ounce, tiny newborn infant, Talladega night, baby Jesus, when he's walking around, he is in community. He's in it. Twelve years old. He's in Jerusalem for the Passover, and he must have been traveling with a large group because that's the only way we can excuse his parents for getting him there. Right? You're a bad parent if you can't find your kid for an hour. Like the state will come and take them away. Mary and Joseph didn't know where Jesus was for a day. Right? The only way you could excuse that is be like he's off playing with his cousin, weird John, who's weird. And Jesus is found in the temple talking about scripture with those who are in the temple talking about scripture. He's in community. He sneaks off to pray frequently, but he's not alone. In prayer, he's in community with God. Which brings up that whole like Trinity thing, right? Like, how does God pray? I don't know. Ask Micah. Um, you want to see a pastor shrivel up? into like a mess on the floor just ask a question about the trinity and they'll just it's over right they're like uh three and one father son holy spirit that's it so if you ever want to see anybody shrivel you can do that um 
So <laughs> apart from that, after you see those things, like the first thing Jesus does is he's getting his ministry started when the bulk of the story of the Gospels gets going. The first thing he does is cultivate a community. A sacred community, a community on mission. But these aren't the A team, it's not the B team, it's not the C team, it's the bad news bears. These are not the guys you're like, they're going to change everything. If I'm recruiting, I'm not talking to these 12 guys. But that's what Jesus does. And there's this pattern, this habit, this thing that God has all throughout Scripture where he's constantly partnering with people. Why? I have no idea. Why didn't he just strike Goliath dead with a brain aneurysm? Like, he could have, like, be far more efficient, wouldn't that have been? Or maybe with, you know, the, the, the Exodus story. Why did he send Moses? Why didn't he just send the ten plagues, and each time he sent it, go, let my people go? Right? Like, that would have been pretty obvious. But that's not what he does. God is consistently forming a community with people. Weird, bad plan. We're not great at this. And setting forth to restore to make things new. That's a huge part of the plan. And we have this bizarre relationship with community. Uh, we are uber connected. We carry around these magical devices that connect, can, connect, can connect us to anyone we want, anywhere we want, just about whenever we want. But how do we feel? Alone. Lonely. Mother Teresa, um, I love this. I think it's the exact right way to picture it. She says uh, that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. We have the capacity for communion, for community, but we run from it. When we're with the people, we're on our devices. When we're not with the people, we're connecting with them with our devices. Barna, a research group, said something really interesting. Uh, I love this. Preferred method of discipleship. Laugh when you get the joke. 38% um, of Christians would prefer to do discipleship alone. <laughs> not 12%, folks. Not 5%, right? Like, 38%. That's the biggest chunk of the pie. It's like that much of this room. Want to do discipleship alone. Guess what you can't do? You can't do discipleship alone. It's like not part of the definition. It'd be like calling, I want to I fly in water. You that you swim in water. You don't fly in water. No, I want to fly in water. Like, you, it is impossible to be engaged in discipleship all by yourself. But over a third of us think that's the best way to go. Ronald Rollheiser, um, a Catholic mystic, this is what he says. He says, uh, he, Jesus, teaches us clearly that God calls us not just as individuals but as a community and that how we relate to each other is just as important religiously as how we relate to God. Or more accurately, how we relate to each other is part of how we relate to God. For Jesus, the two commandments, to love God and love one's neighbor, can never be separated. Hence, he tells us that anyone who claims to love God, 
who is invisible but refuses to deal with a visible neighbor is a liar. For one can only really love a God who is love if one is concretely involved with a real community. By the way, real community is just um, fancy theology speak for really, really hard situations. That's the difference between community and real community. Sort of a joke, but serious at the same time. Can't do discipleship alone. You can't follow Jesus alone. Even God doesn't want to go about the work of restoration, of renewal without us. So why would we want to go without each other? So that's the first thing we see is we got to be in community, even if it is hard. The second thing we see uh, Jesus do is he cultivates sacred community with tension. Matthew, uh, in Matthew 13, there's a list of Jesus' disciples. And um, it, it lists nine of their names, and then three of them, it tells us a little something about them. The one we won't talk about is Judas Iscariot, who it says betrayed Jesus. So they're just making sure we know Judas is the bad guy from the beginning of the story. But it lists two other guys, which is really interesting if you wonder about those things. The first is a guy named Simon the Zealot, which um, Zealot doesn't just mean he was really excited about things, right? He was a person who was longing for the violent overthrow of Rome. And so you got Simon the Zealot here, and then over here on the other side of the table, this is where I would imagine they would be sitting, is a guy named Matthew. What did Matthew do? Does anybody remember? Tax collector. Who did he work for? He worked for Rome. Hmm. So Jesus calls 12 bumbling buffoons together, and I would say he intentionally makes sure that there is tension within this community. Simon the Zealot, the freedom fighter, dagger man, assassin or wannabe assassin. That is actually part of what the Zealots would do. And then you've got Matthew, the tax collector, the, the, the Roman Herodian collaborator, the traitor, the opportunist. Simon the Zealot ain't going to pay the taxes that Matthew is supposed to be collecting. These two guys are fundamentally enemies. Huh. Wonder what dinner parties were like. Now, I went on a little archaeological dig, and I found, a, I, I found two real shirts from about 30, uh, AD 30, so I want to I show you them. <laughs> when you get it, you'll get it. Do you get it? I'm with Herod, but I'm with her. These are actual shirts that I found. So you've got Simon the Zealot, who is, who, who, he's, he wants to make Israel great again. We're going to get this done. We're going to make it great. We're going to get rid of the things we don't want around, and things will be back to as they should have been. You got this guy at the table that Jesus invited in, and then you got this other guy, Matthew the tax collector, the guy who's like, hey, man, just pay your taxes. It's all good. Trust the government. Like, we're here for good. And the third party guys aren't even welcome at the table. Kind of what happens in you know these discussions, right? The, uh, anyways, you've got these two tensions sitting across from each other, sitting next to each other, and it was not an accident. Why would Jesus do this? If I'm at this table, guess where I'm going? I'm out the door. I don't want to be. Do you want to be between that? 
Right? These weren't like the nice people who were like, yeah, I've got my political opinions, you know. These guys were polar opposites. And Jesus either likes fireworks or he knows something about community that we don't know. What happens when you have to stay in community when there's tension? You figure out how to do it. You recognize that maybe they're not wrong and maybe you're not right. Maybe there's another way of looking at this. Maybe there's something I don't see. And how cheap is the love we would cultivate that would require all of us to agree? Is that even love? No. It's not. So Jesus creates this community, this sacred community, in tension between these two extremes to cultivate love within them. So that's the second thing we can observe. We see Jesus create community. For whatever reason, that's how God wants to work. Cool. Guess that means we got to get in community. The second thing is community for us, sacred community for, for us means that, guess what? We don't have to gather with people who see the world the exact same way we do. You have two gentlemen gathered around Jesus who had distinctly different views on how the government should be working, how things should be working. And I found this, I love internet memes. This was some other archaeology I found. This is a poster, actually, from um, AD 30. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But what if they're gay or a different religion or have less money than me or don't have a home or have a different color skin or were born in a different country or vote for someone I don't like? Did I stutter? Were you listening? It's kind of simple, gentlemen. Jesus forms a community with tension so that we could learn how to love one another when we're with him. We can be just like Jesus. The third thing, that's my son. What's up, kid? Um, sorry, you can hit me later. The third thing that Jesus does, and you would have to do this, you would have to do this, he cultivates a sacred community with forgiveness. That's an in integral part of it. Why does God's work require forgiveness amongst his people? If it's God's plan, there shouldn't be any problems, right? That's how it works. When God's in it, everything goes smoothly. Beep, wrong, look at the life of Jesus. Next. God creates a community where we have to know and practice and breathe forgiveness. One time Peter, who, by the way, is my favorite of the disciples. Peter will try anything once, right? He's the guy who's like, walk on water? Absolutely I will. <laughs> like, and then, you know, like, if Peter's foot isn't in his mouth, it's because it's going in or coming out. That is 
Peter. And so I imagine Peter, uh, this loose cannon, this good time, coming up to Jesus, and he comes up to him and he says, um, okay, so Jesus, how many times do you think, how many times should I forgive a person? But he doesn't even let Jesus answer. He's like, I'll tell you how many times, Jesus. Seven times. Now, some of us who know the story, we might be going, yeah, but Jesus is going to say 77, Peter, sucker, right? We know that, how, how that's going. But what Peter is thinking in that moment is most of the rabbis teach you forgive someone three times, and that's it. So when Peter comes to Jesus and says seven, he's thinking times two plus one. Peter's going after the Nelson's ice cream form of forgiveness. You know what I'm talking about? I'll have the child size. <laughs> Whatever. Right? Like three bucks and I am, um, never mind. Um, that's how Peter's thinking about forgiveness. And Jesus says, nope, you're not even close. Seven times seven, or seven times 11, 77 times. Peter, you can't even conceive of how extravagant I am to you and how you are to be with everyone else. And I wonder who Peter's talking about forgiving. Like maybe he's seeing Simon and Matthew go at it, or maybe John and James, the sons of thunder, uh, you know, the guys who wanted to call fire down on a village. Because why not? Right? Like, if you can call fire down, let's, let's test the powers, right? Uh, if you got it, flaunt it. Um, don't do that. I didn't mean that. Uh, awkward. This was not a community that could exist without forgiveness. If this community was an engine, then forgiveness was the oil that let it continue to run. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, the people following him to pray, says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And they must have had some questions afterwards because as Jesus expounded, he says, here's the deal, gentlemen. If you don't forgive one another, you won't be forgiven. He makes it abundantly clear that forgiveness isn't something that you taste for yourself, that it is a thing that is shared. You give it and receive it. N.T. Wright um, he talks about the economy of forgiveness this way. He says, forgiveness is more like air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give it to someone else, the kiss of life that they may desperately need, then you won't be able to take any more in yourself, and you will suffocate, suffocate very quickly. Whatever the spiritual, moral, and emotional equivalent of the lungs may be, it is either open or closed. If it's open, able, and willing to forgive others, it will also be open, able, and willing to receive God's love and forgiveness. But if it's locked up to one, it will be locked up to the other. Jesus creates a sacred community that requires forgiveness as an ingredient. And as we share forgiveness, as I give it, as I receive it, we share, we give, we become more like Jesus. More like Abba. I love this. Um, this is how God describes himself to Moses in Exodus. It says, The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses 
and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. As we practice forgiveness, we become more like our God. There's one other thing that, um, that Jesus cultivates within his sacred community that he gathers. He gathers people around brokenness. He gathered them around a table as they celebrated the Passover, as they remembered the story of the Exodus. And when he broke the bread, he handed it to them and he, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Broken for, for your healing, for your wholeness. Jesus gathers his sacred community around his broken body and invites us to find our life there. Now you might be thinking uh, right now, so what? Interesting. What is this half to do with anything. Friends, in six weeks, there is a sacred community leaving this sacred community. As we follow Jesus in his work to restore and make all things new. And I want to invite you into that now, you might be thinking, wow, that's a sales pitch for a sermon. You really went there? Yes. Because this is a sacred invitation to be people who are on mission with God. You can stay, you can come. But no matter what you do, don't stop. If you feel a nudge that maybe you're supposed to be, you know, helping out, joining this new thing that God's doing, then take a step into it and let the dead bury the dead. Let the details sort themselves out. And if you know that God's not inviting you into that, great then take a step further into community where you are right now. Don't hear these words. Don't see this story of Jesus today proclaimed among you and do nothing with it. Because that's not what we gather to do. We gather to hear and do. In just a moment, um, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I'm going to invite you forward, and together we'll taste, we'll remember, we'll experience when Jesus invited us back into sacred community with him. We're going to do that, but we're going to take a moment, and we're going to be still, and we're going to be quiet, and we're going to prepare our hearts to come to this place. So do that. Take a minute. I invite you just to close your eyes.
Friends, sweet. Sweet to sing, to be together, to taste community. Today, we've heard the story of Jesus. We have heard his invitation for us to be people in community, to be people on mission. So don't stop here. Go further and further into it. Let me read to you from uh, 1 John again as we send you out. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us. In this world, we are like Jesus. Amen. Go in grace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.